Come all today, O new people, to glorify the saint Abba Makari. Help me, O Lord Jesus Christ the strong, to honor my Lord the saint Abba Makari. The manuscripts and books speak and say, that God crowned the saint Abba Makari. King David said the righteous flourishes like Lebanon cedar that is the saint Abba Makari. We sing a new hymn on the good feast of the saint Abba Makari. Seven high orders are with us quietly, exalting and glorifying the saint of Mercury. Behold, we exalt without toil our sublime Father, the saint of Mercury. Rejoice in the Spirit, be glad in the flesh, glorify with the orders, the saint of Macari. Jesus, the Lamb, and our Lady, the Queen, together rejoice with you, the saint of Macari. Also, men and women, Rejoice befittingly for the saint of Macari. Rejoice amongst children of Macarius and celebrate well for the saint of Macari. Let us all ask the Lord to deliver us for the sake of our Father, the saint of Macari. The patriarchs and the prophets honor the athlete, the saint of Macari. Blessed are you to whom your flock submit with the saint of Macari. Glory and honor and great justification have been given to you, o the saint of Macari. Your name is honored and pure, O blessed saint of Macari. Rejoice today, O who is glorified by the King of glory, the saint of Macari. Bless us, O our God, grant us salvation for the sake of the God-lover, Saint Abba Macari. We all pray to you, O Lord, in every place to deliver us through the name of the Saint Abba Macari. You are the Son of God, grant us to be complete in what is yours for the sake of the saint Abba Macari. 
O God, the merciful, grant us to grant us a content heart for the sake of the blessed saint Abba Makari. Hail to the athlete, hail to the ascetic, hail to the patriarch, the saint Abba Makari. O Savior of the world, deliver your people. For the sake of the struggle, man told the saint Abba Makari. O God, O God, keep your faithful. For the sake of the righteous, the saint Abba Makari. Come, let us sing with David the hymnist, and bless Abba Makari the Beloved. Help me, O good one, to speak of and reveal the rational virtues of Abba Makarios the Great, for he truly fulfilled his struggle and became angel of Macarius the Great. Jesus Christ, the Master, chose a perfect man, the great righteous saint, our father of Macarius, for his holy commandments were kept in his upright heart, making him worthy of the priesthood according to the order of Aaron. Seven heavenly orders and the angelic ranks rejoice today with mankind for the sake of our for the sake of our father Macarius. Behold his children amongst, and the layman all gather in his dwelling, and rejoice with him spiritually. At his holy birth there was both joy and gladness, and sevenfold joy. On the day of his priesthood, Lo, Abba Makarios the Great taught his children and made them strong, and they blossomed like flowers. As David said in the psalm, the angel of the Lord will surround you, O Abba Makarios. Christian people, tribes, and all tongues were brought to you, O Makarios, by Christ the Master. Let the name of Christ be glorified because of you, O Makarios, in the dwellings of the Orthodox believers. The wilderness and deserts were filled with monks 
who became your children, O Abamakarios the Great. You are exalted, O Makarios, in all your struggles, and your name will be glorified by all kings. They offer gifts and oblations to your church, O glorious one, unto the end, Abba Makarios the Great. The cherub accompanied you, uh, bringing to you to these mountains, and kept and guarded your dwellings, the doors of your holy dwelling that you built in the wilderness were filled with saints, your children, the monks. They rejoice with you today, O great and blessed one. They celebrate you glorifying on this day from generation to generation. Then our mouths will not weary of praising you always and of honoring your blessed name forever. The Son of God, the Lawgiver, also made you a patriarch. O great ascetic, Makarios the General, O honored Abba Makarios, the new tree that blossomed, ask the Lord to deliver your children by his might. Hail to the perfect man, hail to the lamp of monasticism, hail to our father Abba Makarios, hail to the spirit bearer. O Saviour of the whole world, guard the chorus of the monks and the rest of the Christians for the sake of our Father Makarios. O Christ, the Son of God, remember your poor servant for the sake of the God-loving Saint Abba Makarios. Hail to the great Abba Mekari, the lamp of monasticism, who became the golden lamp, shining more than the sun. For your soul is enlightened in the heavenly Jerusalem, and your body is shining in your church. Yes, we believe that you are with us in soul and body and spirit. You became a comfort for us and adornment of our souls.
the congregation of the monks. Praise and bless God for your coming unto us, O our Holy Father Abba Makari. With this we entreat you as sons of your prayer. Ask the Lord on our behalf that he may have mercy on our souls. Every tongue cannot speak of the signs and wonders. Those which happen through you, my lordly father Abba Makarios, you raise the dead, you cast out the demons, the sick that were in many forms, you healed in the name of the Lord. Therefore many come to you from the ends of the earth, from Romania to Syria, and from Anatolia to Spain. Not only from the time that passed, but many also come now from every from everywhere and venerate your holy relics. Therefore we entreat you as sons of your prayers. Ask the Lord on our behalf that he may have mercy on our souls. Pray to the Lord on our behalf, O my master and father, Abba Makari, and his children, the cross-bearers, that he may forgive us our sins. In the wilderness of Shehit, you endured the suffering. You lived patiently and steadfastly, our Father Abba Makarios. You lived for Emmanuel with a pure heart, with a pure and noble heart, and pure and glorified mind, our Father Abba Makarios. Shanshur is your city, and Ibrahim is your father, preserving the Lord, our father, Abba Makarios. One night your father saw a vision of a shining angel, our father, Abba Makarios. He told him that God will give him a son, his name will be known, our father, Abba Makarios. They called you Abu Ma'ar. You have attained a great honor. You lived in the desert, our father, Abba Makarios.
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, we're going to complete the series, um, the four-part series that we had started a while back about the revelation of God. Um, we had said that there are four ways, primary ways that we discussed for the revelation of God. The first one was what? Does anyone remember? What was the first topic we had? The revelation. How does God reveal himself? Someone. You say something? Oh. The first way we said was creation, right? We can see evidence of God in creation. You can see the evidence of design in creation, okay? The second way was in the human mind, like the moral law, the sense that, that people have an inherent sense of right and wrong. This also points to the idea of a creator, okay? The third way that we mentioned the previous time was scripture, that we, we see the, the, the commandments of God, that God reveals himself to us, who he is, his characteristics, so on, um, in scripture itself, okay? That was the third way. And, and the last way we're going to discuss today is the incarnation, the incarnation itself. This is like the ultimate way that God reveals himself. Because even though in the word of God is written word for us, but it is written by, um, by prophets, it's written as text, but when the Lord Jesus Christ incarnate himself, then now you can interact with him, you can see him, you can touch him, you can hear him, you can, you can see his commands directly and interact and engage with him. And he is the, the one who reveals to us God the Father. Not only as revealing God the Father, but he is the one who reconciles us with God the Father. So the relationship that we have with him and the interaction that we have with him reveals God's reality to us more than any of the others, okay? And this is why the incarnation um, of Christ was such an important and monumental thing because it allowed us as human beings to see God in a new way and to interact with him um, in a new way. We read in John chapter 1, it says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, right? No one has had access to God. No one can see God. Like God in his essence, God the Father in his essence is, is beyond our comprehension. We, we, we cannot know him. We cannot see him. We cannot interact with him. So the Son of God, the, the second member of the Trinity, when he incarnate on the earth, he gave us the opportunity to be able to interact with God in a way that we were never able to do so before, okay? Um, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So all of the conversations that the apostles had with the Lord, the Lord kept speaking about how they will know the Father through him and that the will of the Father is the same as his will and that he was sent by the Father. And it, once you know me, you know the Father, all of these is because the, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. So when we know the Lord, we know God the Father because they have the same will, they have the same desire, they have the same purpose. Okay, so, so we know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this again is a revelation. And the whole purpose of the series is speaking about how the only way that we can truly know God is through revelation. It is not through intuition. 
It's not through deductive reasoning. It's not through um, just uh, you know some kind of scientific method or scientific approach for discovering God. It is by revelation, which means God tells us about himself. That is the only way that finite um, human beings can have any hope of discovering or knowing anything about the infinite God, right? How, how else can we know? He is beyond our understanding. He is beyond, like, uh, you know, discovery. He, he, he allows us to know him by revealing himself to him, uh, to us, and the ultimate way that he revealed himself is through the incarnation. The Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God. Right? And, and the Pharisees rejected this. So in, in John chapter 10, it says, The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. So they wanted to stone him. They wanted to attack him because he claimed that he was God. He said about himself that he is God. And this is why they attacked him. So it's, number one, it's, it's very clear that this is what he claimed. You know, some people say um, that the Lord never said that he was God. Right? The Lord never said that he was, in fact, God. But it's not true. Actually, even the Pharisees um, considered that, that what he was claiming and what he was teaching is that he, in fact, is God. Okay, so, so this is why he is revealing God to us, because he is God. We cannot see the Father, as I mentioned in Exodus 33. It says, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. But God did not want to remain distant. Right? God did not want to remain far from us. He chose to be with us. I mean, the whole story of salvation had to do with the idea that when we were created, we were created to be in the presence of God, in union with God. But because of our sin, we became separated from God, away from Him. But God was not satisfied with this. He wanted us to draw closer to him again. He wanted to be close to us. And this was accomplished through the incarnation. So this is like the, the, the whole story of salvation from the beginning and how God wanted us to be with him. And it was, it was realized again in the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot see the Father. You know, a way to kind of think about it is, think of like, if you, if you remember those like rubber stamps, you know, if you've ever seen those rubber stamps, like where you, you're going to say stamp an envelope or stamp a piece of paper um, with ink, okay? If, if you look at the stamp itself, all of the letters are like a mirror image or all the symbols are like a mirror image of the stamp itself, right? So if you look at the stamp, it's hard to read. Like it's not immediately clear what's there when you when you look at it. But if you stamp... Okay, and then you look at what's on the paper. What's on the paper is legible. You can read it and understand it. So it's like looking at the stamp that's on the paper is giving you insight onto what the stamp actually looks like. Okay, now this is a very crude analogy, but in some sense, okay, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we look at him, gives us insight into the Father. Okay, because we cannot see the Father directly. And any trying to understand the Father directly is like beyond our comprehension. When, but when you see the Lord Jesus Christ and he speaks to us in our language and he communicates with us and we can see the way that he responds to things and reacts to things, we get an insight into who God is in a way that we never and through the history of humanity ever had that opportunity before. Okay, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Okay, God is incomprehensible. God is b beyond our, our understanding 
And, and so the Lord reveals him to us. And this was done, of course, in the Incarnation. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this God who is far, this God who is incomprehensible, now comes as an incarnate God on the earth, and they call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God is present. God is near. He used to be far, and now he has become near. He has come near to us. So he doesn't just, and he comes near not just in the physical sense, like he, it's not just the nearness of God in terms of him being physically present in our proximity that we can talk to him, but he comes near in the sense that he takes our very nature. You know, you could have seen like God could have come as a spirit, right? Kind of like actually there were apparitions of God and appearances of God in the Old Testament, okay? Um, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it's referred to as the angel of the Lord, Okay, but that was not the incarnate God. He, he, he did not yet take our nature and our flesh at that time. But in the New Testament, he actually is born as a human being, right? So, so who he is, is both man and God simultaneously. So when we say God is near to us, it doesn't only mean that he is physically present, you know, in the incarnation, but he is near in the sense that he took our very nature so that we can relate to him as a human being. We can relate to him. Everyone on earth who is dealing with the Lord at the time when he was on earth dealt with him as a person, right? They acknowledged him as a person. They saw him as a person. They knew his family. They knew where he came from. He had an occupation. You know, he ate food and drank water. He could be harmed and injured. He was a human being, right? And so in every way we relate to him as, as humans, and because we relate to him as, as, as a human being and he took our nature, he elevates our mind, our understanding of God because he is both human and God at the same time. So he's revealing, like this is the example I was saying with this rubber stamp, right? He is revealing God to us in a new way, right? We, don't, we didn't understand God himself, but through the incarnation, we understand Christ. He's revealing God to us in his person. Prior to this, for instance, there might be like a prophets. So the prophets would uh, be these messengers that God would communicate to them. And then they would go and communicate the words that God said to the people. Okay. But this was a very limited understanding of God. This was a very limited. Like we would hear like a one-way conversation, a one-way commandments that is coming from God to us. And it would not it would not be the same as speaking with God directly. It would not be the same as speaking with a human being who is God, and this is exactly what Christ did. Christ reveals the glory of God, okay? Because we read in Hebrews chapter 1, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, we see the glory of God manifested in Christ. We see him, for instance, casting out demons. We see him uh, walking on water. We see him in the miracle of the transfiguration, and he is luminous um, in his glory. We see him raising the dead. We see him doing all these things which reveal to us the glory and the majesty of God, that he is, he is glorious. He is, even though he is fully human, but he is also God, and he does things to reveal to us who God is in his glory. Also, we see revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the love of God. We see the magnitude of the love that he has. Because when you see him on the cross and you see him sacrificing himself, 
This tells us something about his love, maybe more than all of the words that ever came before, all the scripture that ever came before, all the stories that ever came before, that even when God declares his love for his people, it's one thing, but when you see him in his incarnation, suffering for the sake of his people, this declares his love in a way that we can perceive it and understand it far greater than any other way that had ever been revealed. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Right? The incarnation was a condescending of God, meaning God accepted to take on a nature that was beneath him. Right? Like imagine, like, you choose to take on the nature of an insect right like you love the insects and you want to help the insects so you choose to take on the weakness of an insect and in that you are just as vulnerable as an insect whatever it is like okay like you know people like try to swat insects and kill them you are subject to that you are subject to every weakness of that creature that you take the form of right so for the infinite god to take the form of and to become the weakness of man, to suffer hunger, to suffer pain, to suffer sorrow, to suffer, um, you know, at the hands of other humans. Like, you know, God is accepting to suffer at the hands of the other people that he created. He created them. And yet he is also their victim, right? They are coming to harm him and he's accepting this, right? This condescending demonstrates the love of God, that he is willing to do this for our sake, for our salvation. He is not just lofty. You know, like when you, when you read in the Old Testament, everything about God is lofty. Everything about God is like he is, he is the one giving the commands. He is the one who is rebuking. He is the one who is rewarding. He is the one deciding. He is the one who is leading. He is the one who is foretelling the future. He is the one who is always like the God of heaven, who everyone looks to him in like fear and trembling and glory and this is him okay this is his nature this is his nature in, in heaven but then this god of glory this god of power this god of knowledge emptied himself of all of that glory and knowledge and power and allowed himself to be confined within the confines of the weakness of a human suffering all the things that we suffer experiencing all the things that we experience, even allowing himself to be tempted by the devil. Was it ever the case when God is in heaven prior to the incarnation that the devil ever tried to tempt God? You know, was it ever the case that, that the, the devil came to God and tried to attract him to evil and sin? And yet in the incarnation of Christ, during his period of time in the wilderness, the 40 days he spent in the wilderness, the devil appeared to him and tried to tempt him. You know, that in itself, the, the God who is so powerful, he allows himself to be tempted. It's hard for us to understand, like, the magnitude of what Christ sacrificed and gave up, not only in the crucifixion, but in the incarnation. The fact that he even allowed himself to be incarnate, allowed himself to live on the earth and to suffer all the weaknesses of man um, that we suffer. So this incarnation of Christ reveals to us 
the love of God and his acceptance of to be, to be humiliated. And even the person who he, um, he allowed himself to be incarnated as was not a powerful person. Like, like you could say, okay, uh, I will be incarnated as a king, like an earthly king living in a palace with every comfort. I can still show love. I can still show compassion and kindness. I can still bring salvation to the world. But he didn't, he, he, he didn't even have like a proper birth born in a manger in a manger like born in a place like his you know saint mary and and saint joseph were rejected they could not even go to the inn in order for her to give birth they had to give birth in a stable of animals all right and this is the place that he chose for himself to be born it says something about the humility of god right he he he, he accepts this all for our sake in john 17 26 says and i have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and i in them so the incarnation in the incarnation christ revealed to us the love that exists among the trinity the love that exists between the father and the son and the holy spirit and he is calling us to be a member of that love right when we when saint peter speaks about how we will be partakers of the divine nature. What is it that we have to look forward to in eternity? Is that we will be in union with the love that is in the Trinity. We will be in union. That the love that is shared between the Father, Son, And again, this love is by example, right? It, it is not just a teaching. It's not just a commandment. Like God wrote the Ten Commandments that all speak about how we should love our neighbor and how we should treat each other and all of this. But none of that can, can compare to the living example that Christ gave us in himself and showing us the love between him and the Father. So we see the fullness of love that we never really understood before. Also, Christ reveals to us the mercy of God. The mercy of God in a way that maybe we had never experienced or we never knew. Um, the Lord, when he was in uh, the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and he stood up in the synagogue and he was reading, and he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, this is a prophecy about him, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we see many, many examples of, of who is it that the Lord spent his time with. You know, he did not spend most of his time with like the elites, with the ruling class, with the powerful people, with the Pharisees. He didn't spend time with those people. He spent time with like the untouchables. He spent time with the people that no one wanted, all the rejects, all the people who had lived a life of sin and were struggling to be accepted or regretting what it is that they had done, but no one was giving them second chances. Those are the people that he spent time with. And he didn't spend time with like the highly educated. He went to the fishermen and he chose among the fishermen 
to be the ones who are going to lead the ministry and become apostles and establish the church. So we see time after time Christ is demonstrating such great mercy. And again, we ask in ourselves, like maybe we feel um, that our sin is too great. And what is it that I can do to be redeemed? And is Christ saving me? Is he, am I going to be saved even with the sins that I have committed, the things that I have done? Well, again, Christ made it very clear beyond just a commandment, beyond just saying that I am merciful. He says he shows us in himself what does that mercy look like in the way that he interacted with people and the way that he showed love to them. In Matthew 9, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, right? So he saw, he saw himself as a physician. He saw himself as a person who would go to the sick, not just the physically sick, but the spiritually sick, the people who are living in need, the people who are oppressed, the people who are downtrodden. Those are the people that he would go to. And we saw in his life the example of what mercy looks like. That is mercy. Compare that to the self-righteous, the people who consider themselves to be like the pinnacle of Judaism, the ones who were the, the, the teachers, the lawyers, the Pharisees. Those people were not like 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 he showed them a completely different way he showed them a completely different way of life compared to to them so christ reveals to us the mercy of god he also reveals to us the holiness of god how holy is god again we know obviously from the old testament god is holy and god wants us to be holy but what does that actually look like in, as a human being because he's asking us to live like him He's saying, I am giving you the example of how to live. I am giving the example of how to love, of how to be merciful. I'm giving you the example of how to be holy. Live like me. Act like me. Do what I do. And we see acts of holiness in the life of the Lord. For instance, um, when the Lord went into the temple and he saw that the, the, there were money changers there. What, what is the deal with the money changers? So the, the money changers, so essentially anyone who would go to the temple... At, uh, in order to offer a sacrifice, they would have to buy the sacrifice from the temple and uh, that they were going to offer. And in order to buy the sacrifice, they would have to use a certain kind of currency called the temple money, okay? Like the temple currency. You wouldn't just take the normal money and use it to buy the sacrifice. You would exchange your money to the temple money and then from the temple money, you would buy the sacrifice. Kind of like uh, when you go like to certain places, like arcades, you can't just pay with money, you have to buy tokens, right? So you, pay the t you buy the tokens, and then with the tokens, you use that to play the games. Kind of like that, okay? And so these money changers, in order for them to make profit, they would charge very, very high exchange rates so that they would be enriched, and they would make money off of these people who are coming to buy sacrifices, to offer okay and so it was a hindrance it prevented the people from being able to have the sacrifice to offer to, to to god so when the lord saw that this was happening these money changers he was extremely upset because these people are trying to just get rich off of the the worship of the people instead of giving it to them at a reasonable price he would they would demand very high rates which would prevent the people from worshiping god and offering sacrifices to him so when he came he was very upset. He, he overthrew the tables of these money changers and he made a big scene about it and he didn't stay quiet about it. And he said what in Matthew 21, 
It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Right? This shows us the holiness of God. The holiness of God as manifested in real life, in our real day-to-day living of how we live and what we choose and how, and how we conduct ourselves. The things that we do even in private, the thoughts that we have in our own minds, the way that we deal with one another or the things that we do even when no one else sees. These are all the, the kind of the, like the question of, of are we holy or not? Are we living like Christ lived or not? Again, he gave us an example. Do we allow sin to enter and we take it lightly and we don't really pay much attention to it? We trivialize it, we justify it. Or like Christ, we see even the smallest sin and we call it out and we say, no, this is sin. This is not something that I should, I should accept. Also, Christ reveals to us the faithfulness of God. In John 10, it says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, out of my, out of, uh, my Father's hand. He's speaking about um, who are these? The Father has given them, meaning the people, the children of God. The Father has given the people to me, who is Christ, and the Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my hand. Meaning, the ones who the Lord has saved, the ones who um, seek the Lord, the one who are repentant, the one who, who, who have salvation, no one is able to take them from his hand. Right? No one. So we are, like the Lord is faithful to us, that he protects us, that he brings us salvation, that he protects us from falling away. Right, because he, because we are in his hand, right. He offers to us the church. He offers us the means of repentance. He offers us the sacraments. He offers us everything that we need for life, for salvation, and then he gives us the choice. It says up to you to choose, you know, what it is that you want. How is it that you want to live? But I have offered it all to you. It is all available for you. Everything that you need for salvation is available to you, and this is your decision. How you want to live is your decision. But at no point does God rescind his promise. Like at no point does he say when someone comes for repentance, when someone comes confessing their sins, at no point does he say, no, I changed my mind. I'm not going to forgive you. You know, we take for granted so much the idea that God forgives. You know, like, like we know implicitly that when we go to God and we ask him for forgiveness, that he forgives our sins. We accepted this because God is faithful, because there's never a time where it didn't happen. And every single time in Scripture where someone sincerely came and asked for forgiveness, God did forgive them. But imagine if it wasn't the case. You know, we as human beings, whenever we wrong one another, maybe, maybe sometimes someone is not willing to forgive. You know, you, you go and you say, I'm sorry for what I did, and the person's response is, no, I don't forgive you. We as human beings are not faithful like God is. God is faithful. We should not... Uh, abuse his faithfulness but this is what he has shown us that even those people who were crucifying him when he was on the cross he asked god the father to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing this is christ right so it reveals to us about god his faithfulness that he is willing to accept us regardless of our actions regardless of what we've done as long as we come with a spirit of repentance so we should respond with gratitude and we should respond with obedience and we should respond to also be merciful and faithful to one another just as he is to us. So 
Christ has revealed the Father to us. He has allowed us to see the glory of God. He has allowed us to see the love of God. He's allowed us to see the mercy of God. He's allowed us to see the holiness of God and the faithfulness of God. All the things that we've discussed. And throughout this whole series, the idea is, is that God is constantly revealing himself to us in many ways. He's revealing to us through the creation, through what we see around us. We see imprints and fingerprints of Christ, of God in the world and in the universe. We see God in our own mind, in our own conscience, in our own sense of right and wrong, in the moral law, even for people who are not Christian. We see the work of God in the, uh, in the incarnation, and we see the work of God in the scripture and what he has revealed to us as the truth. So may God allow us always to realize the presence of God, that he is with us at all times, and that we seek to know him more and more, and glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions before we conclude? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O God, to be with us and to protect us from sin and to know you, O Lord, more and more. We thank you for all the ways you have revealed yourself to us. Help us to make use of these, O Lord, and to meditate on your presence, to meditate on your love, your mercy, your glory, your kindness, your holiness. Help us, O Lord, to be like you and to draw closer to you day by day. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.